Hello and welcome to Paper Boys, the podcast where we unravel the research papers behind the latest major headlines in science. Every Thursday, we go to the source of the story to open up the work behind beautiful new discoveries and cut through misinformation in the media. I'm Charlie, and today I am bringing in a paper about potential alien spaceships. I'm James. I have not read the paper, but I'm excited to learn about alien spaceships. I mean, aren't we all, James? So James and I are both PhD students. We read a lot of papers for our own research, so we're pretty good at it. And this podcast is our way of sharing our love for science with anyone else who wants to learn about discoveries that affect all of us. We're the paper boys. All right, so Charlie, you mentioned a spacecraft, alien spaceship. I don't actually know what this is about, but where did you find this paper? Yeah, it, okay, so this raises a lot of questions. Yeah. Um, this is actually, like, all over the news. I mean, like, you have to be living under a rock if you haven't seen something about this on TV or on your morning commute, whatever, you know? Or just in a grad student lab. Grad, oh, yeah, I mean, every grad student I know has been talking about this incessantly, so... That's kind of how it how it came to my attention. Actually, the first that I heard of this was actually on Twitter from a user named at WHK89. Uh, so thank you very much at WHK89 for turning me on to this story. Basically, what we have is that there is this Harvard astronomy group that published a paper about an asteroid that was discovered last year. And in this paper, they do some mathy stuff. And then they at the end, they sort of suggest that perhaps this asteroid is actually an alien spaceship of some kind, or at least was built by an alien civilization. Okay, so I'm just going to lay this out straight. My big question is going to be, how do you go from observe space rock, do some mathy stuff, to alien spaceship? Yeah, and that's why this has made all the news stories and why it's kind of a big controversy. Okay. Because you asked that question. How do you how do you make it to here? And it turns what's out the, what's the mathy stuff in there? Yeah, so the mathy stuff is cool, and we'll talk about it. Uh, okay, but to get to the alien spaceship, there's a, there's a little bit of a leap that gets them there. Okay, uh, but so I want to cover this because it's ignited this huge firestorm in the scientific community. People are like actually getting kind of heated about this, mm-hmm. and it's published by two very respected astronomers, and so that has added a lot more weight to this. And I just want to actually sort of not set the record straight because I don't have any authority to do that. But I would venture a guess that a lot of people who are throwing out a lot of opinions on this haven't read the whole paper. And so as paper boys, our goal here is to share the actual paper behind these stories that make headline news. Mm -hmm. So that's what I want to do here is just go through the full paper and kind of give some context for where this discussion comes from. And then we and then we'll talk about how legit is this claim that, that, that we've found an alien in the solar system. That sounds great. Maybe before we dive into the actual paper itself, we can talk about some of the headlines you saw. Yeah, so let's see. Uh, I'll just give you a good smattering. So CBS Philly said, Cigar-shaped interstellar object may have been alien probe. Ooh, not a cigar? It's not a cigar, but it is cigar-shaped. So uh, the Times, uh, UK publication, said, Close but no cigar, mystery object Oumuamua could be alien craft. Ooh, a lot of good puns. Yeah, we got we got some good words wordplay going on. So those are kind of the stories just about the paper. 
Now there's been a whole new slurry of papers that is about the controversy surrounding the paper. So we've got scientists at odds about whether space rock Oumuamua is an alien probe. That one's from Sputniknews.com. We have an opinion piece from CNN by Don Lincoln that says Harvard researchers' suggestion of an alien space probe is probably wrong. That's, this is an opinion piece. Do you have any background on who Don Lincoln is? Yes, Don Lincoln is a senior scientist at Fermi National Accelerator Laboratory. So well-respected scientist. Okay. So he he kind of knows what he's talking about. So now the actual paper that all of this is based on is, so it's a journal paper that was submitted to astrophysical research letters, but it actually hasn't been accepted yet. And so it, this hasn't even gone through peer review. So that's another thing. Oh, that's really? adding, Yeah, that's another thing that's adding to the controversy here is that some scientists are saying this shouldn't have been released to the public yet. It, it needed to go through another round of reviews before it was really ready to, to roll out. That's interesting. Do you have any idea how that came about? Yeah, well, it's actually, this, there's a lot of conversation in the scientific community over whether the peer review process is even effective, especially because it's it can slow progress down a lot. Um, and so there's this big trend now with the internet where people will post their papers on these archiving websites. Like the most famous one is called Archive. I think it's like arxiv.org. Yeah, yeah, I've noticed some papers up there. Okay. And, you know, some fields are almost transitioning entirely to publishing their papers on these archive sites rather than going through journals. And that's how, the, that's how they choose to disseminate information in their field. I don't know if astronomy is a field like that, but either way, these two astronomers decided to publish their preprint there to get the word out now. And so the paper is called, Could Solar Radiation Pressure Explain Oumuamua's Peculiar Acceleration? Question mark. Hmm. It's by these two astronomers from Harvard named Shmuel Bialy and Abraham Loeb, who, like I said, are very well respected in the astrophysics community. Okay, so starting off, do you have any idea how this rock, cigar-shaped object was found in the first place? Yes. So this was actually a whole other thing last year. Uh, it was discovered on October 19th, 2017. It was a big media storm thing then, too. If Paper Boys had been around then, we would have an episode on it. Let's just say that. Okay. It's called Oumuamua. It was discovered by the Pan Stars 1 survey at um, this very large telescope down in Hawaii. Hence the Hawaiian name, Oumuamua, which means first scout, I ah, think. Okay. That seems to hint at a spacecraft. Well, maybe. Well, so the reason why they named it first scout is actually, so, and the reason why this object made headlines then is that this is actually the first interstellar object that we have ever observed. Wow. Okay. I mean, that's huge, right? Yeah. So this is a rock that came from outside of our solar system. Do you have any idea how they know that? Yes. So when astronomers observe these objects, if you take a couple different measurements, you can infer what it's, well, you know, it's position because you're measuring it with like radar and then you can infer its velocity as well. And just knowing position and velocity at a couple different points, um, you, you're able to trace out what its orbit is. And we understand the shapes of orbits very well. It's described by very basic sets of physical equations. Just your basic orbital mechanics, you know. I mean, like, you <laughs> know, gotcha. jokingly, gotcha. but yes, it is very, it's it is undergraduate class. Like you can learn about it. There's textbooks on it. Right. It all comes basically out of like Newton's laws. And then this guy, Johannes Kepler, who was the first to observe that orbits trace out these conic sections, like an ellipse. But if you're not in a trapped orbit around the sun, you're actually on a path that's called a hyperbola. And so what they observed is that this object, Oumuamua, 
was on a hyperbolic trajectory around the sun, meaning that it was not trapped by the sun, that it had to have come from outside the solar system. Wow. And what's crazy is that when you talk about hyperbolic trajectories, you talk about the excess velocity or V infinity is like sort of the more mathematical term. And this had an excess velocity of 26 kilometers per second. So putting that in perspective, that means that at the point where it entered the domain of the solar system, it was already going 26 kilometers per second. Okay. Wow. So, I mean, this thing is cruising out there. It's extremely fast. Well, so it turns out that that speed is, yeah, that speed is like pretty average for things like for stars moving relative to each other. But as far as, you know, planetary motions go, this thing is moving very fast. We actually didn't even observe it until it was already like past us and was already on its way back out because it happened so quickly. Wow. Do you have any idea what its trajectory was? Like, did it come close to Earth at all or near any of the planets? It So it passed inside of Mercury's orbit. So it was really close to the sun then. Oh, yeah. I mean, so this thing was like on a collision course with the sun base. I mean, in interstellar terms, this thing was aiming straight at the sun. Wow. I mean, like the odds of that happening is just like so small. That's so cool. Right. Hence why this is the first time we've ever observed an object from out of our solar system. Wow. So it's it's a very big deal. Actually, it's very cool. The other very unique thing about this is that most asteroids and comets that we observe are kind of like these balls or they might have weird shapes, um, but roughly they're like very blobby, right? But this object actually is, they say it's, they said it was shaped like a cigar. Like it had this, it was extremely long and very thin and it was tumbling end over end. Like the way that if you were to throw a stick overhand, Mm -hmm. the way that that stick would flip, flip as you threw it away. This object was tumbling that way, which is like a unstable and like highest high energy state for it to be rotating in. Like it's extremely unusual to see something rotating in that in that way. Yeah, that brings up the question of like sort of like you were talking about tracing back its trajectory. What set it into motion in the first place, like wherever it originated from? Exactly. Like how did it get out here and why was it spinning like that? It's crazy to think that that thing has just been soaring through the universe like that for probably billions of years. Yeah, I mean, for who knows how long. It's ridiculous. I'm getting that eerie universe philosophical feeling down my spine when you start to really actually think about the size. Oh, yeah. It'll make you go crazy if you think too much about it. Yeah. So it's very interesting. They also, they first thought that it was an asteroid, and then they noticed that it had this sort of strange acceleration pattern. So if it were an asteroid, it would just follow this easy this easy trajectory that we get from our, you know, undergrad math stuff that I talked about before. If you have a comet, that means that there's stuff that's actually ejecting off of this rock. Okay. And that ejection can actually alter the trajectory. You're losing mass and you're losing mass. It kind of acts also like like a little rocket, you know. It's like you're blasting oh, okay. like water off one way, that means that you're going to actually like accelerate the other direction. Okay. So they observe like this Newton's like laws. Yeah, so they observe this anomalous acceleration with comets. And they started to see that effect with Oumuamua. And so then they classified it as a comet. But then they didn't observe the visible signatures that you normally do with a comet, which is that, you know, you can actually see stuff flying off of it. They never, Mm -hmm. they didn't, they couldn't actually see it. And so then they said, well, maybe it's not a comet. And so they didn't know what to call it. And then the International Astronomical Union, which is responsible for classifying these objects, they made up a new classification for it. Really? Yeah. So uh, the official designation of, Amuamua is uh, 1I slash 2017U1, 
And that one I at the beginning, I believe for asteroids and for comets, it's like a some number and a C or a some number and an A. They made up this new classification I for interstellar. Wow. Is it number one just because it's the first? Number one because it's the first. That's so cool. Yeah. So Oumuamua has, has changed already, changed a little bit in science just of how we even classify these objects because it's completely unique. We've never even had a chance to say hello. I know. Um, now, where things get weird with this paper, so I mentioned that you have this odd acceleration effect that we're observing with Oumuamua. Because there's been these studies that say, well, maybe it's not really a comet, uh, these two Harvard guys wanted to determine maybe there's another effect going on here that could cause this type of acceleration. And there is an effect that they look at called solar radiation pressure. Oh, yeah. I've seen cool art projects with this. You get their like little radiometers and they start spinning. Oh, really? From the solar radiation effect. So the effect is that the sun is blasting off photons. Like That's the light that we see. And these photons actually can hit something and push on it. Like it seems crazy because it's just light, right? But it actually, in space where there's no friction and you have microgravity, it's very easy to start actually pushing on something. Mm -hmm. And there's actually concepts that have been proposed to use this as a propulsion technique where you, you know, they call them, a, it's called a light sail. Oh. Where they would, they would blast out like a big array of a very thin sheet and then use the solar radiation pressure to accelerate instead of having to use fuel or something. Was this like the spacecraft that they were talking about the most efficient way to actually get to the nearest star? Yeah, like the Stephen Hawking idea. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. where they would, they, except instead of using the sun's radiation pressure, they were going to use lasers from Earth and, ah, and shoot the okay. lasers at the light sails and get like a much higher radiation pressure okay. from those photons. Cool. Yeah, same concept. So in this paper, they examine, basically they're setting out to examine, is it possible that this effect could account for the anomalous acceleration we're seeing? And they ultimately find, yes, it is possible. Based on like the profile of the acceleration, it matches with what you would observe if it were solar radiation pressure. Okay. So were the, did they build some simulations for this then based on the rough observed size or is it just sort of mathematical... It's sort of like this mathematical analytical problem, okay. Um, but they do use all known observations of Oumuamua to back it out. Okay. So what they did is take the equation of motion that describes how this object would move around the sun, again, back to the, the easy math that I was talking about before, and, um, and then they back out what kind of mass and area Oumuamua would have to have in order for that acceleration to be observed. And they find out that it would have to look kind of like a pancake. So instead of like a cigar, that it would actually be this like smushed flat pancake looking object that would have a radius of around 30, 40, 50 meters or so. It's like fairly large, but not large by astronomical standards. Right. But the crazy part that they find is that it would have to be less than one millimeter thick. Really? Yeah. They say between point three and 0.9 millimeters huh that would just be insane yeah and so this is i mean this is what everyone is calling a rock yeah but have you ever seen a rock that's that thin uh no let alone like, in space i mean just a little blade yeah but like how would that form in space it's hard to imagine right so they come out and they say if solar radiation pressure is the cause of this acceleration then it must be less than one millimeter thick so that's kind of like their major big, whoa, here's a big wow factor thing. 
Then they spend the next couple sections just trying to really hammer the point home that this is possible. So they look at um, a couple different things. They look at whether an object that is shaped like this could even have made it across interstellar distances. Because you'd think if it's this very thin object and it's like tumbling, it has to travel very far, you'd think that it could probably just break apart or it would slow down or something before it could ever reach us, right? Yeah, I mean, especially if it's taking some trajectory, a little bit of acceleration in the wrong way. I don't know. Maybe it loses some mass as it goes by. Something breaks it apart. So they do that calculation. They look at like how much would it slow down just from momentum transfer of all these different dust particles and all the interstellar gases that are out there. And they find out that compared to what's called the solar galactocentric radius, which I believe is just the distance from the sun to the center of the galaxy, they say okay. that they say that this Oumuamua could travel that far. It could travel from the center of the galaxy all the way here before it would slow down enough to like stop it. Wow. Okay. So they kind of hammer that point home like, yes, this could have traveled from somewhere else to get to us. And then they say they also do like a very similar process, but looking at collisions with these dust and gas particles that would break it apart, that would like evaporate and like vaporize pieces of it. Yeah. Cause like, you know, you imagine a little piece of harmful dust here on Earth where if it's sitting still, it's not doing anything, but it seems like anything going 23 kilometers per second, like any impact at that velocity could have a huge effect. So it could. So like a little dust grain, if it, if it hits it at that 27 kilometers a second, it, it'll like break off pieces of a muamua and it'll actually like melt and vaporize and, you know, but what they find is that there's still not even enough of these dust particles and gas particles in the interstellar medium to break it apart across that same kind of distance. Wow, okay. So they also find, like, yes, it could have traveled this far without breaking apart. So there goes another kind of little domino towards there, towards the plausibility of this traveling, of, of an object that is this thin traveling to us. Hmm. And then the last thing to look at is that if you had an object that was like this thin, you'd imagine it's very fragile, right? Yeah. And it's tumbling very rapidly. Like, it, I think it goes end over end once every, like, six or eight hours, which is... Sounds slow, but for an object that's this big and this heavy and compared to stuff that we, other rocks that we observe, it's very fast. So they look at that rotation and they sort of talk about the tensile stresses of this rock and they ultimately determine that it could very easily withstand this kind of tumbling rate, even if it were this less than one millimeter thick pancake. Okay, so that tumble rate isn't enough to snap it. Right. So mm. so there's kind of like, there are three things where they say, Yes, we've made a crazy claim that it's this millimeter, this 0.3 millimeter thick pancake. You may be saying, oh, it couldn't make it this far if it looked like that. They say, actually, yes, it could because of these reasons. Okay. So that's that's what this paper is all about is, you know, I said the title is, could solar radiation pressure be responsible for this? And they get the answer, which is, yes, it, it could reasonably be, but it would just have to be this this crazy looking object. Wait, so none of this is telling me spacecraft. All of this is saying, all right, sort of like a crazy space rock, right? I'm like, I can believe that. It's weird, but I can believe it. Yes. And they have math to show it. And you're right. The paper should have ended there. <laughs> That's a logical place to end. <laughs> this is why people are saying you guys should have waited for peer review. This shouldn't have been published as a preprint because they kind of go off the rails in, this, in the last section. Oh, and, and so it's just in the last section that they bring up alien spacecraft yeah uh, well i mean granted it's a four-page paper okay it's, it's a letter to this journal you know still like that's a 
But yeah, you know, there's five sections and the fifth one is where they start talking about aliens. So as, you know, we're in grad school learning how to write papers, like usually you should try to make those assertions early on so people yes. catch it. Yes. Or use a representative title. Or you should not make those assertions <laughs> because there's not much basis. So, um, All right. so what they're basically getting at is like, this is a very strange object. We've never seen anything like it at all. And we've also never seen something that came from outside of our solar system. So what could possibly account for this? And they say that like there's been some theoretical models that predict a certain density of objects that would look like this. You know, they can just look at it probabilistically, like what's the probability of an object forming in this shape? And then therefore, what would be like the density of these? And they find some number. And then now that we've observed this object, someone else did a calculation based on the observations and said, here's what the predicted density would be. Mm -hmm. And the theory and the predictions are like way off. Really? Yeah. Like based on what we observe about Oumuamua, we would expect to see it's like six orders of magnitude more of these objects than what the theory predicted. And so there's got to be a reason for that discrepancy. One reason could just be that like we super lucked out. Like we actually observed one of these things that for all purposes we should never have ever seen. Mm -hmm. What these guys are suggesting is that the real reason is that it wasn't chance at all. It was an alien spacecraft on a flyby mission? uh, Yes, that's actually what they say. So they say that it could be like this artificial, like a light sail, what we talked about before, that was built by an alien civilization. And that was like used for interstellar cargo transport and it left their solar system and then they left it and it was just debris and it finally made its way here (laughs) so i like really appreciate the creativity on it we'll talk about that more i am like honestly like a little bit speechless like they came up with the whole story like oh it's for transport and then it was like left as debris (laughs) and it just floated here i think you know john h alien uh hit the button too early and ejected this light sail. Therefore, it came out here. It's like, (laughs) yeah, you know. I mean, so they're basing it on like the fact that here on Earth, we have invented this technology. So it's not unreasonable to assume that another advanced spacefaring civilization, you know, the laws of physics are constant everywhere, we we assume. So like they're also going to know about solar radiation pressure and using it for propulsion. So and if it is a spacecraft and they do listen to this podcast, then our alien overlords <laughs> are going to be pretty upset at us. Yeah. But, or uh, maybe they'll be happy we were not on to them. Yeah. But, that's true. you know, and I read this interesting um, opinion piece about this. One kind of like interesting point that maybe drives a little bit of a stake into the light sail theory is that they say, look, if this was a spacefaring civilization that's capable of leaving their own solar system and they've developed these light sails, that light sail would be way bigger than 30 meters across because like that wouldn't get you to interstellar speeds, you know? And yeah. like this thing came in at 26 kilometers a second, which I said was very fast. But if you're trying to travel between stars, you're trying to go way faster than that. You're trying to go like thousands of kilometers a second. Approach as fast, I mean, as close to the speed of light as you can get. Like Exactly. But I mean, maybe part of it broke off. I don't know. Maybe John H. Alien made a wrong turn and whoop, there goes part of the space sail. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Sure. Just, yeah. Add that know. to the re- add that to your, you know, how many conjectures do you I'm have to make? I'm going to write them a letter. Yeah. How many conjectures do you have to make before it becomes plausible that this is a light sail? Yeah. I mean, I think what this is really getting at is like the notion of like Occam's razor. Use the simplest explanation to describe what you observe. Right. 
And that that's it's, honestly the biggest problem that I have with this paper is that another way of, that it's been said is, I think Carl Sagan said, like extraordinary claims demand extraordinary evidence. Mm-hmm. And they have relatively ordinary evidence here, like things that we observe on the regular from comets. And yet they've used that as evidence for a very extraordinary claim. Yeah. Um, it doesn't rule out that this is an alien craft, right? Like there's nothing that says it's not. But you need to be coming at it with some something harder than that. What's also interesting, though, is that there are some observations that point towards it being a light sail. Like it has a very high reflectivity compared to other objects that we observe. So the reflectivity is like, you know, as the name suggests, mm-hmm. it's how much light bounces back off of this thing. Yeah. And so when you're designing a solar sail, you actually want something that's very reflective. Because if you imagine that you had like a totally black light sail, all the photons that come in are going to get absorbed. And so you'd get the momentum of those photons. If you were to develop something that's like a perfect mirror, those photons are going to come, hit it, and bounce off. So you actually get twice the momentum. Oh, because they not only hit you, but then they go the other way, which means there's another force that's against them. Right. You get like double the force. The mirror is essentially pushing off them again. Exactly. That exactly. makes sense. Yeah. So if you were designing one of these, you would make it very reflective. And this thing is particularly reflective, we observed. Huh. That is interesting. So that brings up a question because, excuse me, since I'm not in astrophysics or astronomy, but how good are our observations of Oumuamua? How much do we know? It sounds like we got a reflectivity measurement of it. We know roughly what its dimensions are. Yeah. So that's actually the crux of all this is that our observations are not great. I mentioned that like we didn't even really catch it until it was already kind of on its way out. Yeah. Um, and we're still observing it, and I think we're still making measurements. But, you know, for example, they're not even positive on what the shape is, right? Like yeah. you've got the original papers were all saying, well, it's shaped like a cigar. And now you have this paper is saying it's shaped like a pancake, and there's some other ones that say it's like a pancake, and there's evidence for both. So we don't even have a very clear picture of its shape. We're not 100% certain on its reflectivity. Like you just see a certain amount of light coming back you have to assume a certain size. If you assume that it's really small, then it must have a really high reflectivity because you saw this much light. But if it's like this massive object and you're only seeing that little speck of light, that has totally different implications. Okay, so if we revised our estimates on its actual dimensions, that could change everything. It could totally change this whole thing, you know? So like, if you go to the Wikipedia page, it gives you that this is a cigar-shaped object that's like 240 to 1,000 meters across. But here's this paper saying it's 30 meters across with equally valid data. So, Okay, we're still sort of on an orders of magnitude estimation. Exactly. Which, again, just leads you down the road of saying, like, if you can't even make a claim about what the shape of this thing is, then you shouldn't be making a claim about its origins. Yeah. Especially given that it's the first thing we've ever seen from outside the solar system. We have no clue where it came from. Like, we have no precedent for making a claim of its origin. Absolutely. I So... I'm firmly on team space rock instead of team spaceship. But uh <laughs> and but, but also just, like I don't want to discount their theory. Like there's nothing to say that it's wrong. It's just that it it was a little bit irresponsible to put this into a paper. Yeah, I agree. Especially like, from we, the science community, it seems more like a sort of like a marketing step than like true science. Yeah, and I I saw another, you know, another opinion piece that said like, "Hey everybody, this paper was meant to inspire astrophysicists, not to like make a real claim that we observed aliens. Which, again, that's not that's not the point of a journal paper. I'm sorry. 
Yeah. Um, but I think that we should still like allow it to inspire us. And I think we still should entertain these ideas uh, because that's, you know, it's very low investment, high reward. Like we should keep observing it and maybe try to, it's like SETI. Like you go and you observe things because it's like, well, it's not going to cost us that much to just look for it. And if we found extraterrestrial life, super high this, return on investment. Right. Extremely yeah. high return. So there's no it harm. change everything. Right? Yeah, totally. And, you know, it's a little bit frustrating to see someone sort of almost take advantage of the system for self-promotion in the way that the scientific community responds to such claims. But I got to say, I mean, it sparked fun debates around school and with different people. Like, it's somewhat invigorating, I guess, for the community who does make these observations. Yeah, and it's really cool to see, like, this interplanetary science stuff getting a ton of mainstream attention. Yeah, and you can kind of see some of, like, the big minds start sparring and actually debating the idea in the yeah. public. These sort of discussions that we wouldn't have a chance to witness otherwise. Totally. And, like, over under on how long it'll be before someone makes a movie that's totally inspired by this Oumuamua thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, three years from now, I bet. I'm waiting for the Disney version. <laughs> yeah. Um, I haven't gotten to the end of the paper, by the way. There's more. Oh, yeah. So we've talked about their light sail theory. Okay. Now they go even more extreme. No. Yeah, so I'll just no way. I'll just quote here. It says, uh, quote, A more exotic scenario is that Oumuamua may be a fully operational probe sent intentionally to Earth vicinity by an alien civilization. Did they list the names of the aliens who sent it? Or what? I mean, like, well, there's John H. Alien, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> he's the only one we know of. But, I mean, this is awesome. I mean, this is, it sounds like they're just having fun. They're with having it fun with it. Yeah. yeah. Again, they use the evidence of this, you know, discrepancy between the theoretical models and the observations of Oumuamua mm-hmm. to say, like, one explanation for why we would see something like this is that it was targeted. It Because the, the theory is based on assuming these things naturally form and are following random trajectories. So you say, well, we could get a huge difference in the order of magnitude if we just assume that it's not a random trajectory. Uh, okay. Again, very extraordinary claim with non-extraordinary evidence so but Oumuamua itself is pretty extraordinary yes it totally is that is absolutely true but they don't think that it's so extraordinary that it's outside the bounds of natural formation like we observe crazy new things all the time in our solar system Mm -hmm. you know like every time we visit a new planet or a new object in the Kuiper belt or anything I mean I was just reading about this earlier today like they discovered new rings of Saturn when they took a picture during eclipse of like with the Cassini orbiter, like yeah. Saturn, which we've been observing for hundreds of years now and had already had a satellite there for years, they're still discovering new rings there. So there's still a lot to discover. There's a lot we don't know. And it's not unreasonable to think that an object of this shape could exist out there. What's also crazy is that based on the theoretical prediction of the formation of these types of objects, they expect that there could already be thousands of Oumuamua-like rocks in our solar system that have wow. come in and been trapped by like the gravity system that's sort of set up between like the sun and Jupiter. Oh, okay. They, they kind of like sweep in all these different asteroids into what's called, I believe they're called the Trojans. And so they think that they could already have a lot of these, you know, cigar-shaped or very crazily shaped things. And so what this paper suggests is maybe we should start looking for those here in our solar system, like do a survey for specifically those types of objects so that we can study them maybe up close or just with a longer duration 
to give us some insight about what Oumuamua really was, whether it was alien or not. Oh, wow. Okay. And so they conclude the whole paper by saying, a survey for light sails as techno-signatures in the solar system is warranted, irrespective of whether Oumuamua is one of them. I don't know about that. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like they're like suddenly going back and hedging their bet again. They kind of are. It's like, well, if it's not a light sail, then why is it warranted to search for light sails? Yeah. I mean, you know, the crazy thing from this paper is like they'll probably get a ton of citations just with people trying to refute them. Oh, definitely. Just like and, academic gold. But it's not like these guys need it. Like I said, they're these guys. Harvard. They're both these Harvard astrophysicists. I think they're both very well established. Like they've been in this industry a long time. Yeah. Um, which sort of fueled a lot of this controversy. Like I heard some grad students saying they're extremely disappointed in them and that they really looked up to these guys and now they're not so sure. So I don't know. It's caused a very, it's a big firestorm. Wow. I mean, it's interesting. It's interesting from, you know, what's probably generally a very mild mannered community to see such a firestorm erupt. There's certainly implications for, you know, the integrity of putting such claims out there before it's been peer reviewed. But, you know, it's nice to see the community get stimulated and uh, it's probably good to bring in public opinion on these debates anyways. What scares me a little bit is like the spreading of misinformation. Yeah. And where that goes and like you know people will be like oh did you hear like nasa discovered an alien spaceship yeah zooming by the sun we've talked about this on other episodes how many conspiracy theories does this fuel yeah exactly which honestly like whatever people are always exist no matter what people are always going to do that the problem that i have more with it is what you said about the misinformation side so it seems that a lot of, coming back to the news articles, it seems that a lot of these news sources are willing to suspend intellectual honesty in order to excitingly report on this. Yeah. Like a lot of the, a lot of the reports that I saw are like these, like a morning show and you, you see the host who's going like, oh, the, a new object they found, they think it could be aliens. Ooh. And, and the other hosts are like, oh, whoa, I knew it. Ha ha ha. I mean, let's be honest, like think of like the gritty movie version of this. If we observed an object and we and we found that it was an alien ship, this would all be much more grave and serious than any of these reports are making it sound. And so the only way that you can like make it sound silly is that in your head you you know deep down like it's not really true and you're suspending your intellectual honesty in order to like say it to the camera and tell people, "Oh, there could be aliens here," you know? And like Maybe half the audience is kind of in on that joke, but the other half might not be. And they're going to go around and tell people like, wow, NASA discovered aliens. And that's how misinformation gets spread. It also just blurs the line then between entertainment and like actual informative news media then. Totally. At that point, it's like the news is just purely for your entertainment and you're not getting any like true scientific value from your source. Right. And like, I feel that they should have a responsibility to give it all this, these caveats that they put in the paper or that at least the other commentators, scientific commentators are giving it nine times out of 10. They're not going to do that because that's not that doesn't make for an exciting story. Yeah. And so they just go for some clickbaity title and go from there. Yeah. And so what has been interesting, though, at least is that, you know, the first several stories were this thing could be an alien craft. 
But then the next wave that completely drowned out the original stories was all, this is not an alien craft, or scientists are at odds about about this hypothesis, and, you know, I disagree and all that. So hopefully the record will get set straight to put that balance back between, you know, back into the responsible territory of we're just we're just posing the question. Okay, so it sounds like most of the news articles and sources that you saw were not up to par, actually, what was in the paper and the criticisms. But did you find any that did actually dive into it and explain the paper and research pretty well? I was not able to find one that really dove into the paper this way. Um, That may not be because they aren't out there. It's just that there was so much coverage on this that it was just a sea of headlines. Like there's, there was no, every single local station had their own little report on this and every single tabloid and every single independent news site. And so it's hard to find the one, you know, like a Smithsonian mag type article that we've oh, seen on Smithsonian some, mag. Yeah. Like we love them. They do a great job. On a lot of our episodes, we find that they have these really detailed stories that cover the paper the way that we like to cover the paper. I wasn't able to find one like that in this case because there were because everyone and their mother was reporting on it. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like from what's actually revealed in the paper, too, it's not a very long paper with a ton to discuss. No. And that's actually kind of what I responded on on Twitter when this first came to my attention was like, there's some interesting things here. It's a little bit out there. But like, why don't you just read the paper for yourself? It's only four pages long. And it's actually not that hard to understand. Honestly, you don't even need to read all the math stuff. Just like they boil it down into the sentences you need and then just read the last section, section five. It's like a page, maybe less than a page. It'll take you 10 minutes. And that's where they talk about like the artificial origins and all that. So if you know, you're listening to this and you're intrigued, go check out the paper. It'll be on our website. Um, just read section five, the, the results and discussion part. And just to clarify for any listeners, is this paper totally open? Like no subscription is needed to access it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's posted on that archive.org site. That's all open access science papers. Okay, great. Well, thanks for bringing that in, Charlie. Fascinating topic. It's been fascinating to see the maelstrom of news articles um, great talking word. about it and all the critiques. Absolutely. Because that's really what's happened. It'll be interesting to see how it shakes out and what future observations of Oumuamua give. Moving on now to our favorite segment, Grad Student Highlight. This is a segment we've started doing on the show here where we have a grad student from somewhere in the world. They'll call in and they'll tell us a little bit about their work, about themselves, what excites them about science, how they like to communicate their science with the world. Um, This is just our way of humanizing research and giving you not a face to the name of grad students, but a voice to the name of grad students who are oftentimes doing the real hard work of scientific research. Today, we're excited to bring on Susanna Harris. She's at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill, studying how bacteria affects plant growth. We'll let Susanna go into more detail in her own words. Hi, everyone. I'm Susanna Harris, and I'm a PhD student in microbiology at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. I study how groups of bacteria stick to plant roots. So farmers know that crops grow better in some fields, and in the 1970s, researchers found that a part of this phenomenon was due to the bacteria protecting the plants. We want to use these beneficial bacteria in agriculture, but we don't always say the increases in growth and disease resistance in the field like we do in lab. For my thesis work, I'm asking whether these differences are due to interactions with the microbes already living in the fields. I'm studying how microbial community affects our beneficial bacteria during attachment, growth, and chemical production. 
All three of these steps are required for the beneficial bacteria to form a long-lasting relationship with the plant, and all can be affected by neighboring microbes. I combine soil microbes with my favorite beneficial bacteria, Bacillus subtilis, and ask which communities stay with the plant the longest and how they behave together on the root. Similar to my thesis work, I want to build strong and supportive human communities. I founded and run the PH Depression, an online group to increase conversation and break the stigma around mental illness in academia. I am also part of the Sci community to connect science communicators on social media. You can find me online at Susanna, with two N's, L. Harris. Thank you so much. Bye. I got to say, Susanna Harris has an excellent voice for radio. She would make a great paper girl. Yeah, I think, wanted to. I think she might uh, replace us here on the show. Yeah, seriously. I might, I might have to hire her and kick you off, James. Sorry. Uh-oh. Well, thank you so much, Susanna. It's great to hear about your research and also all of your efforts to connect the graduate school community and address things like uh, mental illness and the community. We'll drop some links to her Instagram and her sites for the pH depression and the side community on our own website, paperboyspodcast.com, where you can also find this crazy alien paper about Oumuamua. We'll drop some news articles kind of running the gamut from supportive to skeptical and of course, as always, if you have any questions, comments, please drop us a line at our email address, paperboyspod at gmail.com, or Twitter and Instagram at paperboyspod. We'd love to hear from you. And even better yet, we'd love to hear from your friend if you want to drop them a recommendation for our show. Oh, yeah. Just tell, tell your science nerdy friends to check out Paperboys. We'd love you if you did that. Thanks so much, and please join us next week for another exciting edition of Paper Boys. Thanks for listening.